Hello and welcome to the Dash Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Gamage, and joining me today is Miss Robin Jackson from Mind Steps Inc. She's written several books from since 2009 all the way up about how to never work harder than your teachers, how to support classroom instruction and school leadership. So I'm excited to bring her to you today. And as always, this episode is sponsored to you by the Gamage Consulting Group. We help enhance student voice and engagement. Having this help on your campus, you can visit TreyGamage.com shop for more information. But without further ado, how are you today, Ms. Jackson? I'm good. I'm fighting a bit of a cold, but I'm good. Good, good, good. Now, I've, I've had a chance to follow you on LinkedIn for, it seems like, almost a year now. Um, and I've been impressed with, with all the content that you're putting out and uh, really the care that you have as an education consultant for working with schools and going to conferences and really building leaders um, to take advantage or to, to build our next generation in schools, rather. How did you get started with Mind Steps Inc. and become an education consultant? I started out as a high school English teacher and from um, I did some consulting as an English teacher because one of the things that I was really passionate about was helping um, non traditionally underrepresented students get access to honors and AP courses mm. and so I um, did some things in my own AP course that gave opened up the gates and gave more access to minority students, um, to students affected by poverty. And I was asked to speak about those things and, and show other teachers how to do that. Um, from there, I became a middle school administrator and I continued to consult about working with um, traditionally underrepresented students and giving them access, but also started working with working around creating more rigor in the classroom and coaching teachers to do that. Mm. And um, I had this dream that I wanted to write a book but I was also an assistant principal and on that track to be a principal. And the day that my boss offered me a principalship, I, I, I had been praying about this for a while. I've been thinking about this for a while. Um, the day he offered me a principalship, I, I don't know what happened, but at that day I resigned. Wow. And I didn't have a plan yet. I didn't have, um, I didn't have a you know, health insurance. I didn't have anything. Yeah. But that was in February. I finished out the school year, and um, July 1 was my first day um, out of the school mm. system, and I decided to go ahead and write the book that was in me for a while, and that book became Never Work Harder Than Your Students, and I started Mind Steps um, while I was writing the book, and we started out providing uh, training and support for teachers, and then as the company evolved and grew, we realized that if teachers were going to be able to do the things we were training them to do, we also had to focus on their administrators. And mm -hmm. so now most of our work is around focusing on administrators first and getting them of the mindset that they're ready to be builders and to, to create the kind of school where all kids and teachers can thrive. And then working with the teachers in that same framework to build their classrooms and to build up their children. Wow, wow, that's powerful. I, I love that one. I, I appreciate and admire the boldness and the bravery to uh, let go of an opportunity such as being a principal, which is a, a high task and a very commendable, honorable position um, to jump in off of that ledge. So what what I, and we'll I will keep digging into some of this. I'm curious because my story is actually kind of similar myself. I was working at a residential high school and um, I wasn't offered a principalship, but I did put in my resignation for July 1st in 2015. So we resigned on the same day there. Um, that's kind of cool. And, and, uh, similarly, I started off as a public speaker, focusing on 
students, but I realized a step below you, I was like, well, if I wanna work with students, I should really be trying to train teachers because they're going into the classroom and impacting um, the students. So it multiplies the impact. So can you kind of talk on what, you know, playing on it in hindsight, how did you come to that decision to leave and what was the driving factor? You know, I know the book, but like what was the, the authentic piece for you? Why was that the right thing to do at the time? Uh, I wanted to write the book. I didn't know what the book was going to be, but I knew I had a book in me. And so I knew that I was probably going to be promoted that school year. And instead of being excited about being promoted, I started to feel trapped because I knew that I couldn't write the book and run a school and give myself, give my all to a school. Um, but I didn't think at the time that I could write a book if I hadn't been a building principal. So I struggled with, do I delay and defer that dream, that book that was inside of me that was dying to come out for three years? Because I didn't think it was fair to do anything less than three years in the school. Mm. Or do I write the book right then and there? And the more I thought about it, and I, I wish this was a carefully considered decision. I mean, I'd been thinking about this for months that I wanted to write a book, but I didn't have a plan. So when I resigned, there was no mind steps in mind. There was nothing i didn't even know you know when i resigned people said well what are you going to do i said i'm going to write a book they said about what i said i don't know <laughs> they said do you have a publisher i said no do you have a job lined up i said no so i hadn't planned on resigning that day wow. um but when he my boss asked me what i wanted to do next year instead of saying you know sir i want to be a building principal which is what i was supposed to say that was my line i ended up saying sir I want to resign and write a book. Wow. And then as soon as I said it, I you know, covered my mouth. It, it, it had been in my heart, but I hadn't expressed mm. it. Mm. And um, he looked at me and he said, did you just say what I thought you said? And I said, I think I did. He says, well, <laughs> give me some time to think about it. And I thought about it. But once I said it, it started to feel oh. more and more real. Mm -hmm. And I feel that sometimes when you are doing what God tells you to do. He doesn't give you the whole plan. Right. He asks you to take the first step. And so once I took that first step, everything else started coming into place. I didn't know how to write a book. Um, I didn't have a, a plan for how I was going to support myself. At the time, I wasn't married and mm. I had just bought a house and I needed a new car and I needed health insurance. And wow. so I was trying to figure all these things out. But once I was obedient to, to resign, all of those things within that window between February and, and June 30th, they all worked out. I found a book group and of women who were writing books and who were published authors, and they invited me to join them. That book group helped me craft my book proposal. Um, I um, didn't have a publisher. I didn't have a book idea. But the moment that I freed up space to start writing, the book idea came. Mm. Um, I didn't have um, an income or a source, income source. And um, after I quit my job, uh, someone read an article that I'd written about um, underrepresented students in AP, and they hired me as a consultant to start AP programs all over the U.S. in schools that did not have AP programs. Mm. And so that was my first consulting client. I started getting invitations to speak. I started getting other consulting clients. And so I started Mind Steps 
just to provide a, you know, a corporate, a corporation for all of these consulting um, things that started coming my way. And so, you know, once I became obedient and I just said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I leaped. There was a net, the net appeared and mm. it caught me. So sometimes when I tell my story, I don't want people to think, you know, walk into the office tomorrow and quit your job. Right. You have to, you know, be a little bit more deliberate. And I wish I could say that I have this master plan. Right. I did not. I just was obedient. Yeah. Well, and I think I've, I've heard before, they say that what God has for you is hard, but it's not confusing. You know, so it's, it's hard to write that book and find out what that master plan is going to be. But it wasn't confusing. They asked you a, a, a straight up question and you gave a straight up answer about what it is that you wanted to do. And, and we'll get into authenticity in a moment. I, I love your, your thoughts on that and, and knowing your why and being authentic in the work that you do. Um, but if we can talk about never work harder than your students, what did that book end up becoming about? And, and what, what did that value for you? Why? Yeah. So one of the things that I noticed when I worked with teachers is that oftentimes, because I was an instructional coach and then I was an administrator, and when I would observe teachers, I often saw that teachers were doing all of the cognitive heavy lifting in the classroom. And the kids were kind of sitting passively back. And instead of inviting the kids to join the teacher and learning about math, the teachers were performing math for the students or mm. performing English for the students. And they're, you know, whoever's doing the most work is typically doing the most learning. It's not that teachers don't work, but the kind of work that teachers were doing was actually robbing kids of opportunities to learn. Um, the other thing I saw is that teachers were rescuing kids from struggle, you know, rather than allowing kids the opportunity for productive struggle during their work. So one of the things that I was thinking about was that we're working too hard. But the other thing I was thinking about was that you know, if I wanted to help somebody become a master teacher, mm. what would I say to them? And I started kind of weeding through all the things that I've been taught. You have to do this. You need these best practices. You need to do that. And I started looking at those things and saying, but those things change over time. What, what, is, what are the timeless principles that are grade level agnostic and subject level agnostic and teaching style agnostic? what principles are there that really undergird what mastery teaching is all about? And I started considering that question. And so Never Work Harder Than Your Students um, is really a book about seven principles that teachers need to use in order to be master teachers. And the reason that I love the idea of principles rather than strategies is because if you can understand the principles about what it means to be a master teacher, about what it means to really reach your students and help them thrive in your classroom, if you understand those principles, then you have a lot of power because then you can take those principles and no matter what the world throws at you, no matter which kid comes in your classroom or what your schedule looks like or who your administrator is or what your curriculum turns out to be, those same principles will apply. And so it gives teachers a lot of freedom and a lot of security as they work towards being master teachers. It allows you to really reach your students in ways that strategies don't because so many times I go into classrooms and teachers are trying to conform to an evaluation rubric mm. rather than teaching the kids in front of them. With the principles, you don't have to worry about the evaluation rubric. You're going to be fine because the evaluation rubric is undergirded by the same principles that we're talking about. But you don't have to worry about, did I do this? And did everything get checked off of a list? Instead, you're the freedom to reach kids in the way that they need it the most. Yeah, that's really powerful. I love that idea that principle equals power. And 
even the mention of a principle that that transcends whatever industry or situation that you're in. If you understand the the power of the principle, it works in your relationship. It works. It works with with any obstacle that you're trying to tackle. So I can I can really appreciate that. Is there one favorite principle that you have from the book that you want to share? No, I don't. I think they all work together. So I can't pick right. and choose a favorite one. Now, my publisher chose the seventh principle, never work harder than your students, mm. to, to kind of put as a book cover because it's provocative and, and eye-catching. But the rest of the title is, and other principles of great teaching. So okay. there are seven, and I think they all work together. And I can go through them quickly. It's start where your students are, know where they're going, expect to get them there, support them along the way, use feedback to help you both get better, focus on quality versus quantity, and never work harder than your students. And they all work together. So, you know, you can't pick and choose a principle and just say, I'm just going to focus on this principle. Right. Master teachers have found a way to master all of those principles and make them work for their students and also make them work for their own teaching style. And I think that's really important mm -hmm. because a lot of times teachers feel like in order to be a master teacher, I have to become a Stepford teacher. I have to become you know, a clone of somebody's idea about what a master teacher is. But that's not true. We did a, 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 an initiative a few years ago at MindSteps where we called it the Master Teacher Project. And we interviewed master teachers all over the United States because we wanted to find common characteristics among master teachers. And what was frustrating about that study was that at the end of the study, there was only one common characteristic. So it wasn't you know, a teaching style that kind of was pervasive. It was all over the place. It wasn't a grade level or a, a, a subject area that, that, that bubbled to the top. The only common characteristic we found was that master teachers always say, I don't care who the kid is, put them in my classroom and that kid's mm. gonna learn, that kid's gonna thrive. Wow. And so in order to be able to have that kind of confidence, in order to be able to be that effective, you need to be driven by these principles. So the master, all the master teachers practice these seven principles. But they had, because they practiced them, it didn't matter who the kid was. They, right. they weren't daunted by kids who came with these huge issues. Did, bring them in my classroom, and I will figure out how to help that child succeed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Goodness, that's powerful. Every student can learn. And that, unfortunately, that's a philosophy. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that is, that's a common, commonality that you found in master teachers is that they believe that every student can learn. If you don't believe that, it's going to be hard. You, you, you can't serve. Well, there's a difference. See, master teachers don't believe that every child can learn. I mean, they do, but that's not what's driving their work. They believe they can help every child learn. Mm. And it's a total shift, right? Because if you're looking to the kids, if you're saying, well, I believe in all these different kids and I just have to find their potential. If you are unsuccessful, you tend to blame the children. Mm. If you say you take the emphasis off the children, which is a, a variable you really can't control, and you put the focus on me, and you say, it doesn't matter who the kid is, I can help them learn. Mm. It changes things. It empowers you as a teacher. You're not looking to find a child's potential. You're not focused on finding something in the child. Because you know, honestly, we don't say this in education, but you know, we don't instantly love every child that comes into <laughs> our classroom. We don't instantaneously um, see the potential in every child that comes into the classroom. And that's a lot of pressure on us because we're human beings to say, I'm going to, I believe in every single child because we may not at first, 
But if you believe in yourself, that variable doesn't change. Wow. And that means that no matter what child comes into your classroom, you don't have to manufacture a belief. You can just say, all right, let me see who you are and let me figure out how I'm gonna help you be successful. It changes, takes a lot of pressure off of teachers and it also helps teachers never give up on a child yeah. because it's not giving up on a child. If I give up, I'm giving up on me. Mm. Mm. And you continue to move forward and progress. I like that. That's a, that's a paradigm shift that I'm sure makes a big difference for teachers. So at what point did you realize that you, you needed to work with the school leaders and administrators to amplify that impact with teachers and students? So when I started doing long-term work with schools, I started getting really frustrated because initially people bought me in to fix the teachers. You know, that was mm -hmm. kind of why the people were hiring me. And so I'm working, and first of all, I hate the idea of fixing teachers, you know, because teachers are professionals. Um, they have minds, good minds. They love kids. They, they want to do the right thing for kids. So they don't need fixing. They need support. They need guidance, but they don't need fixing. And so I always resisted that paradigm of fixing teachers, but a lot of my early clients, that's what they wanted. And what I found is that when I worked with teachers, a lot of times teachers wanted to teach the way that I was showing them. They were excited about teaching that way, but they always would say, but what happens when my principal comes in my classroom and my teaching doesn't look exactly like the checklist? Mm. And so then I realized that if I'm going to really be, have this impact, if, then I have to work with administrators to understand that they have to see their work differently. Um, if they're going to build master teachers, if they're going to have a whole school full of people who are masterfully working and supporting and helping kids thrive, then they need to change. Um, there's a saying we have at Mindsteps that the fish rots from the head. And a lot of times, if you see poor instruction in the classroom, it's because there's poor, quote unquote, leadership happening in the main office. You can't, they're, they're inextricably tied. Yeah. And so what I got so frustrated working with teachers and showing them something, but teachers not feeling empowered to be able to do that work, that we shifted our focus and we said, first, an administrator has to build an environment where teachers can teach this way, the way that we're teaching teachers how to teach. Yeah. And if that environment is not there, you're not gonna see the change, the lasting change in the classroom. Once we shifted our focus and started with administrators first, that's when schools started transforming. Mm. So rather than just having pockets of excellence in classrooms after we left, some teachers who grabbed onto the training, others who didn't, we now could go into a school, start with the administration, and then transform every single classroom in the school. And that effect would last long after we left to the point where we would go back to some schools five years after working with them and they would forget that we were there. They yeah. were transformed so much that they thought this is just the way we do things rather than this is a mind step strategy. And so that to have that kind of change happen in schools, that transformation that becomes institutionalized, that excellence that becomes institutionalized, yeah. you have to have everybody in the school working towards that goal. You have to have leaders. And I don't like the term leadership. I think leadership is limiting. I like the term builders because builders um, takes you beyond just leading. Leadership is about maintaining the status quo. Buildership is about transformation. It's about creating something new, something better. And so when you have builders in a building, then you don't just get pockets of excellence or you don't just get fidelity of implementation. You get transformation. You, you, the school looks different. The school is better. Um, you've built something that meets 
that exactly meets the needs of your students and your students are thriving, your teachers are thriving. You can feel the difference when you walk into a building. Yeah. And so, and you've turned, you turned that concept into, was that your second book? Never work harder than your teachers? So the set, no, that wasn't my second book, but the book I think you're referring to is um, called um, Never Underestimate Your Teachers. Oh, okay, okay. And that book really kind of lays out a paradigm. Yeah, that book lays out a paradigm. People always come to me, leaders, principals come to me and they say, what do I, you know, I really want to do what, you know, you're saying, I want to move my school, but there's that teacher that that's resistant or that teacher's a holdout. Or I got to get rid of this teacher first. And my philosophy is you don't get rid of teachers. Transformation means you have to transform your building with the teachers and the resources you already have. And the reason I emphasize that is because if people are waiting to get rid of people, then your transformation is being held hostage by a particular person. And a builder doesn't do that. You don't waste your time trying to chase, check, and, and correct teachers. You're too busy building a better school. Mm. So how do you do that with the teachers and resources you already have? And never underestimate your teachers shows you that. So the idea is that if you want to move teachers' practice, you have to understand that teachers have, you have a will problem and a skill problem to confront. That sometimes teachers aren't moving because they're unwilling as of yet to move. Sometimes they're not moving because they don't have the skill they need to move. And as, an, as a builder, you have to look at both sides of that. You can't just go in and say, I'm going to bring in some training. And after I bring in this training, voila, everybody's different. Everybody's better. Right. Instead, you have to go in and say, my teachers, I have to move teacher will and skill. And never underestimate your teachers. The first half is about how do you move teacher skill? So how do you give them the feedback and the support and the accountability and the culture that you need to move teacher skill? The second half of the book is how do you move teacher will? And again, it's really about looking at what drives teachers, making sure that you are feeding their will drivers so that teachers choose to join you on this journey of transformation rather than your dragging teachers towards transformation because that's not real transformation. If people don't want that transformation, if they're not willing to change, then the most you're going to get is compliance, and compliance does not transform schools. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Ten, I'm working on the 11th one right now. Wow. Well, do you have a favorite book that you've written? Well, every one that I've written is my favorite while I'm writing it, <laughs> and then until I write the next one. So, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, I think that I have, there are different books that meet different needs, and so I don't necessarily have a favorite but depending on the context in which I'm working, I feel like there's a right book for that context. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so thinking about, you know, again, I saw another video from you and I can hear it just in your tone. Authenticity means a whole lot to you. Can you talk about what it means to be authentic for yourself and how you're able to deliver that message of authenticity to the schools and, and builders that you're working with? So when I wrote Never Work Harder Than Your Students, I was pretty committed to this idea that we have to stop forcing teachers into these cookie cutter molds of what we think a master teacher should be. That you should be able to be a master teacher and stay authentic to who you are. 
And I see a lot of teachers who are afraid to be who they are because they're worried that who they are doesn't fit that cookie cutter mm. idea of a master teacher. And when a principal comes into the classroom, they, instead of being authentic, they jump to trying to conform to whatever the evaluation instrument says. Right. And there's a way to do both. So it's not that I discount um, what our evaluation instruments emphasize as effective teaching. I think that it's important to have that guide. But I also believe that you can fulfill the requirements of your evaluation instrument in a way that asks you to be yourself. And you, you can't help but do that because who you are is going to, I would say, you, you can try to hide who you are, but who you are will leak all over the kids anyway. Mm -hmm. So let's start with who you are. And let's try to figure out how can I, can, when I'm working with teachers, I'm always thinking about how can I help you become a master teacher given who you are? And so it's a different approach. It, 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 it frees teachers to try to find ways to reach students given who they are. And not every teacher is going to be the same. So never underestimate your teachers. I start out that book by describing three very different teachers. And if you looked at them on the surface, you would not think that they are master teachers. But these teachers are all masterful in helping all of their children meet or exceed the standards every single year. And so we've got to get away from this idea that a master teacher is akin to sainthood and only the select few get there. We've got to get away from this idea that they all look alike and trying to force teachers to all look alike. Instead, we should get with this idea of, okay, given who I am, given my personality quirks, given my strengths and weaknesses, how do I leverage all of those to best serve kids? And when we do that, when we do that, that's how we get teachers moving towards mastery. And that's how we help every teacher reach the kids that are in front of them. Because we stop, we, we focus on what's really important rather than focusing on what's superficial and looking for these superficial markers of mastery. Mm -hmm. You know, when administrators go into classrooms and they have look-fors, I'm always nervous. I, you know, I think look-fors can be a powerful tool and, and we provide them. Um, for certain things like rigor and other things, but I'm always nervous about giving them to administrators because those look-fors should really be about what's happening with the kids, not what the teacher is doing. It should be about the impact that it's what the teacher is doing is having on the kids because a teacher could do everything quote-unquote right and still not reach the kids. So authenticity is about getting rid of all of that and coming in and figuring out, these are my kids. What do I need to do today to help these children learn and be successful? Absolutely. And then whatever that is, doing that, regardless of what the, you know, the, what the, the, the standard accepted practice is, what do you need to be doing to reach the kids in your classroom? That's true mm -hmm. authenticity. Mm -hmm. So when you, when you think about a lot of times teachers have baggage, bias, or blind spots that they can also bring into the classroom. How does the teacher eliminate that piece of themselves if they haven't found their authentic selves from that from a, a point of time or um, they're still struggling and battling with the baggage of their past? How do they eliminate that to bring in their authentic full self into the classroom? So I think we had a back connection. Do you mind repeating that question one more time? Yep. I said that uh, teachers have baggage, bias, and blind spots that a lot of times they'll bring into the classroom and may not even know exist. How do you how do you get teachers to first of all be aware to some of that baggage they're being bringing into the classroom and then eliminate it so that they can teach their authentic self? 
So there are two principles that really address this. The first one is start where your students are. And understanding a lot of the baggage that we have around expectations about what, what students should be in a classroom, starting where your students are says you've got to learn how to recognize the, the intellectual and cultural currencies that your kids carry, and you've got to learn how to value those. So that gets you out of a lot of your own baggage because, again, you're looking at the kids and you're looking for how those kids are smart. What are the currencies that they already have? And then leveraging those currencies. And that forces you to kind of get out of some of those stereotypes. The, the, the third one is expect your students to get there. And I, this is where I think we don't spend enough time. So I talked earlier about the difference between believing in your kids versus believing in you. A lot of times when teachers make the shift from looking at their kids to looking at themselves, then you neutralize their baggage. Because if, I, if I'm forcing teachers to look at the kids and I'm talking about high expectations for the kids, you get into a lot of teacher baggage about what kids are capable of doing. Yeah. But underneath all that baggage is saying, you know, I remember a teacher saying to me once, Robin, um, I believe every kid can learn. I'm just not sure every kid can learn from me. Mm. And to me, that is the purest expression of what happens with expectations. Yeah. Teachers look at certain kinds of kids and they don't know how to reach those kids. So if we're not careful and we keep them focused on the kids, ultimately teachers are gonna to begin to blame the kids and you can't blame the teacher because the teacher's doing everything they know how to do and it's not working, so it must be the kid. Mm. When you take the focus off the kid and put the focus back on the teacher, then does it matter what your baggage is? You still have to find a way to reach that kid. Does it matter how you feel about it? You have to find a way to reach that kid. And so without getting into a whole bunch of stuff, you know, like, you know, I, without kind of trying to spend years and years unpacking teachers' baggage, right. what you do instead is you say, stop looking at the kids and look at yourself. And then that, that's, a, that's a shortcut to overcoming a lot of baggage that we have about kids. You know, teachers are like, you know, I can't teach this kid. This kid can't learn. This kid doesn't belong here. And I say, well, you know, given that attitude, what you're really saying to me is you can't figure out how to teach this kid. You can't figure out how to make this kid work. So let's figure out how do we make this work in your classroom, given who the kid is and given who you are, and the onus is on you, then it changes things. You can't, it, it forces teachers to take, take the ownership, but not in a way that's kind of punitive. It also empowers teachers. Once I own it, then I have power. Yeah. As long as it's with the kids, I don't have any power. But once it's with me, I have power. So teachers who really embrace this start to find ways to work with kids that they haven't been able to work with before, start to find ways to support kids in ways that they haven't been willing to do before, mm -hmm. because it's on me. It's about me being a master teacher. And that overcomes a lot of baggage without having to spend years and years and years of teacher therapy to yeah. do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. So as far as MindStep goes, you, you've written 10 books or on, on book number 11, correct? Yes. So almost 11 books. You've been in the industry as a consultant for a while. What's the goal that you're striving for right now? And is there a place that you're ultimately trying to get to with MindStep? Um, I, pro I should have a better answer for that. But right now, <laughs> our goal is to show people how to turn their schools into success stories with the people and the resources they already have. Gotcha. And so 
I don't have a big, you know, world domination plan for mind steps. That's just the work I'm really interested in doing right now. Yeah. It's taking the schools that are good, but are not great and showing them how they can take that school and turn it into a success story. Taking schools that other people have written off, yeah. kids that other people have written off, and taking that and turning it into a success story. So right now at MindSteps, we're really interested in just writing success stories, helping people write their own success stories, mm. helping people not just do a tweak here or there, but to do something really transformative where the kids benefit, the kids are the beneficiaries. Yeah. So how do you do that? And then. I'm really interested in how you do that, even if your staff doesn't change, even if your resources don't change, because I feel like a lot of people get stuck there. Yeah. You know, I, we could transform if only we could get this million dollar grant. And yet most of the schools I've worked with who have million dollar grants waste that money because they don't have a bigger vision for their school. Or they say, we could get there if we got rid of these teachers. But if you get rid of the teachers that are in your school and you bring new teachers into that same culture, your new teachers will eventually act like the teachers who just left because yeah. culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture mm -hmm. will change people and make people behave in ways that maybe they don't even want to behave, but the culture is so powerful. So I'm looking at how I help schools stop making excuses, stop waiting until they get this or that and the other and start working on building a better school right now. And so that's kind of where we are right now. So we do builders labs um, four times a year where school administrators come and they learn how to do this. How do you transform your school? We have a framework that we teach um, that has four parts. First, you have to get your purpose straight. And it's surprising to me how many people don't have a clear vision for their school? Mm. Um, how, how many people don't have a mission and core value set? So get your purpose first. Then how do you get your people committed to that purpose? And so we talk about will and skill and we talk about the ways that you can do that. And once you get people, you have a clear purpose, you have committed people. The next step is then now you have to have a pathway. What's your pathway to mastery? And every school's pathway is gonna look a little different. How do you figure out how to transform your school and what pathway should you be on right now? That gives people a lot of clarity and direction and then finally, what's your concrete plan? What plan are you going to execute to start moving your school closer and closer to your goals? So we do that four times a year. Um, we have some other plans coming up that I can't share right now for 2020 to really now broaden that work and get more people in your school engaged. So once the builder comes back from Builders Lab and they start moving that work, how do you then get everybody else in your building consistently moving as well and providing some support around that? And then we work with a few private school, private clients, not private schools. We work with a lot of public schools, some private too, but we work with some people who engage us for contract to provide a little bit more hands-on, feet on the ground, support in their schools Absolutely. towards turning their schools into success stories. And all we're really trying to do is we're trying to just go from one success story to the next success story to the next success story with our clients. Um, and just to start to see this this movement of people who are not content with the status quo anymore and they really believe that they can build something better for children and then they do it. Right. Right. I, but for, if, they, if you need a better answer than that, I'm not sure what that <laughs> looks like. Um, it sounds like you've got, I mean, that's, that's simple. That's clear. I love this builder lab. I have to see if there's one near me in South Carolina or at least grab some of these books from you. So, Robin, where can we go if somebody wants to find a book or um, engage you as a client? Where can they go to find you? 
So our main website is mindstepsinc.com. That's M-I-N-D-S-T-E-P-S-I-N-C, mindstepsinc.com. And if you're particularly interested in Builders Lab, we're releasing the 2020 dates uh, next week. And you can go to mindstepsinc.com slash builders dash lab to find out more about that. All right. All right. And where can we find you? Is there any other or on your books? Are they all on the website? They're all on the Mindsteps website. And then also, if you want to connect with me, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Robin Jackson on LinkedIn. All righty. That sounds so good. Robin, thank you so much for all these insights that you uh, dropped on us right here today. I really have enjoyed listening to it. I always say that having a podcast is my cheat code. It's like coaching sessions for me. <laughs> experts like yourself. Well, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you today. Yes, ma'am. And I hope you enjoyed listening to the Dash Podcast today. This is a very special episode with Robin Jackson. I've been working to get her on the show for quite some time. So I'm glad that we finally made it happen. If you like this episode, share it with someone that needs to hear it. Talk to your principals, talk to your friends, administrators. Share it with everybody. Leave a comment and we will see you next time. This is the Dash. Thank you so much, Robin. That was great.